Hey everyone, thanks for checking out the River Community Church podcast. If you want more information about the church or things that are going on, you can visit therivercc.com or you can check out our app at app.therivercc.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Steve Taboo. Uh, welcome to the River Community Church this morning. Welcome those watching online. I got a chance to watch online last week when I was out of town, and it was really awesome to have that available. Thanks to Pastor Andrew and the team for making that happen every week. Uh, what a blessing that is. Glad to have you today. We are starting a new series. If you got your Bibles, you can go ahead and pull them out. We are in 2 Timothy. Now, what we do in the summer is we do a book series. So we're going to go verse by verse all the way through the book of 2 Timothy over the next 8 to 10 weeks. So it's a great time to bring your own Bible because you can jot down your notes of what we'll talk about and your uh, underlying things that you want accented and noticed that you do personally. And uh, Or you can take one of the Burgundy Bibles in front of you, take it home with you, put your name in it, make that yours, and follow through in that as well. But... 2 Timothy is a unique book because it was the last book the historians believe that Paul wrote to the churches. And it was written to Timothy as a young pastor. It was his young protege, his his young Jedi knight, if you would, that he was going to pour into. And he's pouring into young Timothy, and and he knows that this is probably going to be his last letter. And so it's almost like a last will and testament. It's like he is giving... Timothy, this very important truth of how to carry on in ministry. And so I think it gives us great nuggets because uh, Jesus told us in Matthew 28, he said, go into all the nations and make disciples of all nations, right? And yet sometimes I have people say, what does it mean to be a disciple? And so I think the next eight to 10 weeks as we're going through this study, you'll learn what it means to make disciples because Paul is pouring into Timothy this idea of making disciples. And we'll get to follow through uh, on what that looks like. So I'm not going to read the whole passage, verses 1 through 12 today. I'm going to read them all in two verse segments uh, along with each point because we're just going to go verse by verse. So I think over the next 8 to 10 weeks, it'll be easier just to read it as we go. So pick up with me, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. We'll go through verse 4 says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I have been sent out to tell others about the life he has promised through faith in Christ Jesus. I am writing to Timothy, my dear son. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Timothy, I thank God for you, the God I serve with a clear conscience, just as my ancestors did. Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. I long to see you again, for I remember your tears as we parted, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. So let's go, Lord, in prayer and ask God to, to give us wisdom as we go through this book together. Lord, I thank you that you've given us these letters to learn from. God, I thank you that your teachings on disciple-making are clear, but also wide enough that we can adapt them to our culture today. I pray, Lord, that as we, we dig in, 
that your spirit will, will nudge us where we need to get more involved, where we need to, to help disciple others, and maybe where we need to be discipled ourselves. Pray that in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, to start with, we don't use the word disciple a whole lot, right? It's not, it's not like a, a common word that we use. Maybe the word apprentice might be something that we use uh, as we think of someone who goes alongside someone to learn the trade. So it's probably a good picture when I think of disciple-making that we're to bring someone along with us to learn what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So uh, these first four verses uh, is talking about the joy that we have in making disciples. Paul's writing a letter to this young man, and the first point is there is joy in making disciples. As Paul's writing this letter, he's expressing the joy that he has in this relationship. Now, all of us in this room haven't had great family relationships. Some have had great ones. Some have had poor ones. Some have had amazing parents. Some have had less than amazing parents. Some have had amazing brothers and sisters. Some have had less than amazing brothers and sisters. But the beautiful thing, the joy of disciple-making, is you can have a family within a family. You can build sons and daughters in ministry by pouring into them. Is it the exact same? Of course it's not. But there's so much that, of a rich relationship that we can have when we make disciples. Because there's joy. And look at the first part there in, in verse 1. It says, uh, I have been sent out to tell others about the life he promised through faith in Christ Jesus. So the one way you get joy as a disciple maker, it gives you purpose. I have people say to me, Steve, I don't know what my purpose in life is. I'm like, well, I can show you. Because our purpose is clear for everybody. If you have given your life to Jesus, one of the main purposes we have is to share that good news with other people. And when you do that, it really does fill you up. When you see somebody else, like the light bulb goes off in their head, and they start to follow the Lord, and they see, see the changes in their marriage, they see the changes in their friendships. It's very rewarding. It gives me joy when I get to see other people catch it and understand it. And it'll give you joy as well. There is joy in doing the things that God has called you to do. And one of the things he's called us to do is to tell the good news to others. And it's good news. It's great news. Uh, second thing in this passage here is he, he says, uh, may God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord give you grace, mercy, and peace. Who's he writing to? Right above that, he says, Timothy, my dear son. Is Timothy his actual son? No. He's his apprentice, his young disciple. But they have built such a close relationship that he sees them as his physical son. Maybe Paul didn't even have a son. We don't know. He never mentions having a family. But as a Pharisee, he would have been married at least at some point in his life. Maybe she passed away young, but maybe before they have kids. We don't know that. It doesn't give us that instruction. But when he looks at Timothy, he says to him, Timothy, my son. That is the affection that he carried for, for Timothy. And there is joy in having a family. There can also be stresses, right? right? But there's also joy in having a family. And Paul was finding joy in having Timothy be his son in the Lord. 
Now, some of you wish you had that relationship. Some of you wish you had a father in ministry, a mother in ministry. And that's one of the things, in the, by the end of this t- teaching on Timothy, I'm going to be throwing it out to all of us. If you'd like to be a disciple mentor, or if you'd like to be an apprentice new disciple. And I hope to connect people together to see that happen, okay? So there's a joy in making disciples. And then uh, verse three gives you the really the most basic of all basic things you can do to make disciples. What does he say he does for him? Prays for him night and day. Can you pray? We can all pray, right? This, this stage up here is covered in names, like all the way from that end, all the way around of people's names that we're praying for. And I was convicted. I'd never seen this before, but I was convicted because he said he prays for them night and day. And I was like, you know what? I don't pray for people twice a day. They have to be really bad to do that. And I started thinking, you know what, maybe I need to up my game in my prayer and start praying twice a day for the people that are on the top of my prayer list and asking God to capture their hearts, draw them to him. So maybe that's a, a nugget for you today. It was, that was a nugget for me. And then in verse four, he says, and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. Relationships that God gives us, this disciple-making relationship brings us joy. I had a chance this last week to talk to four different church planners and to encourage them, some, uh, one in their family, one in their marriage, one in the ministry, one in a, a, a new project they're doing, and just to pray with them and encourage them. And there's just a lot of joy when you get to pour in what God's already poured into you. That's his goal for us. Whatever God's poured into you, to pour it into the next person, okay? And the beauty of that is some people say, well, I don't know enough yet, Pastor, to pour into somebody else. Well, I can introduce you to somebody that knows less. And I find that I grow the most and enjoy my faith the most when I have somebody pouring into me and then when I'm pouring into someone else. And so that's going to be my challenge for you over the next 10 weeks is to begin praying for who God might want to pour into you and who you might want to pour into others, okay? So the second thing, let's read verses five and six. It says, I remember your genuine faith, for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I know that same faith continues strong in you. This is why I remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. Timothy had a pedigree. Like, he was uh, the, the grandson of a woman of God. He was the son of a woman of God. He had both of them pouring into him. I can't tell you, those, those of you that are grandparents in here, I can't tell you the number of people I've talked to about their faith that they would say their faith came from grandma. Anybody raise your hand? Anybody? Yeah, several of you, Yeah. That their grandma prayed for them, their grandma took them to church, their grandma was like a cornerstone, or their mom. You know, every time the doors were open, we went. One guy said, I had a drug problem growing up. I said, what was it? I got drugged to church every time. (laughs) 
Well, if that's your worst problem, you're doing all right. I would say to you, mamas, grandmamas, don't underestimate the influence you're having even when they're saying they don't want to go and they don't want to be a part. And then I say to you, dads, where was Timothy's dad? He's not listed here. He's not listed anywhere. All we know is that he was a Greek. And apparently, spiritually, he wasn't involved in Timothy's life. Now, listen, I know some awesome dads that are pouring into their sons and daughters. But I want to challenge us as men to be pouring into our sons and daughters. God has wired us to coach. I don't know what the percentages are, but when I look out at coaches, it seems like like 90% of of sports coaches are men. He's wired us to to enjoy having an apprentice and and teaching what we've learned to someone younger than us. It's it's something he's put inside of us. Why do we not want to do that with our faith? We should. Men, we should want to take the word of God and pour it into as many young men as we can and to disciple them and help them because that is what's going to help them in their marriage. That is what's going to help them in their journey through life. So, Paul has poured into Timothy. Eunice and Lois have poured into Timothy. Those are some of the gifts that Timothy has, that he has these examples in his life. And let me say, to whom much is given, much is required. So if you're here today and you have the blessing of a spiritual foundation and a spiritual heritage, I want to challenge you, what are you doing with that? Are you just being thankful or are you passing it forward? Are you just being grateful or are you paying it forward by by pouring into the next generation of somebody who needs that hope and that truth? I think God wants us to pay it forward. He wants to, he's given us these gifts to do his work. And in verse six, he says, this is why I remind you, fan into flames the spiritual gift. What does that mean? Well, have you ever tried to get a, a fire going and it's struggling, so you, you try to like blow some air on it? They used to have the bellows. The other day we were out trying to burn some brush and, and it was kind of wet. So, you know, I poured some accelerant on the, uh, on the brush to help, help with it and and that helped some, but then it would, because it was still a little wet, it would start dying down again. And my son had the, the blower, and he comes out, and he just sets that blower on it, and just the leaf blower, you know? And I mean, we got that fire going good with that accelerant. Accelerant plus, plus fanning the flames. That's what God wants to do in us. He wants to take the flame that's struggling in somebody else, and he wants us to be the leaf blower that makes it ablaze. But we need that. We need to fan the flames. And that's the part that we have to do. Nobody can do that for you. Nobody can be the one that fans your flames. God will give you the flame. He'll give you the gifts. He'll give you the opportunity to use those gifts. He'll give you the motivation. He'll give you the discipline. He'll give you the power. But you have to fan the flame. You have to show up. You have to read, you have to pray, you have to care, you have to take initiative. You've got to be willing to light the, the, 
the leaf blower up and let it get loose on the fire to fan the flame. Well, I think God wants us to use those gifts he's given us, and I think that's how we fan the flame, and that's where we get the joy. All of us can pray. We agree with that. As long as we're breathing, we can all pray for the people. After first service, I had somebody say to me, Steve, I needed to hear that. There's a friend of mine I've been praying for for over 60 years. And I just told my wife yesterday I'm ready to give up because they don't want to listen to anything about God. And then you go and preach that message. I was like, well, I'm glad I did because we can't give up on anybody. Never, never, never. We can all pray. We can all encourage. Everybody needs encouragement, am I right? Man, when you see somebody doing something right, can you just take the time to encourage them? You got a, you got a son or daughter that's got a coach that's really going the extra mile? Why don't you just buy them a gift card to wherever they like to eat out and bless them? Why don't you take them aside and just say, hey, thank you for pouring into my kid? You got a, a karate teacher that's really made a difference in your kid's life? Why don't you take a moment and thank them? You got a school teacher that spends the extra time pouring into to your child instead of just saying, well, they're getting paid for it? Yeah, they're getting paid, but they work a lot of hours. What if you take a moment and just encourage them and say, thank you? The power of encouragement is huge. And as a disciple of Jesus Christ, we are given the gift that we can not just fan our flame, we can fan other people's flames. I want to challenge you to fan flames. You got a, a young youth leader in the youth department down here that's, that's encouraging your kid and your kid wants to come to church now because they're there? What if you just let them know? We got a lot of young college students, some that are choosing to come here instead of being at home over the summer so they can pour into teenagers, a commitment they're making. We had 10 that have gone out to Oregon to serve the Lord there over the summer. Instead of earning money working this summer, they're volunteering their time and had to raise like $2,500 just to go. Let's encourage people that are sacrificing and doing the work of the Lord and pouring into our kids and our grandkids and those around us. And then let's find a way that we can do the same, that we can get in the game. Okay, verse 7 and 8, Paul's telling them where the power comes from. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power love, and self-discipline. So never be ashamed to tell others about our Lord. And don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him. With the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. Verse 7, man, that's a great verse to memorize. God supplies the power. That's the third point. God supplies the power. You're like, oh, I don't know if I can do this. God supplies the power. The love and the self-discipline. We just got to fan the flame. He gives us the power to do it. We got to fan the flame. What holds you back? It's not a lack of power, according to what Paul's telling Timothy. We have the power because God gives us that power. 
and he doesn't give us fear. If you have fear of failure, that's not from God, okay? Now, the world wants us to be fearful of everything. We have horror movies. We have horror shows. We have things all the time to put fear in our minds. We have the news, right? People like, I can't believe there's so much murder and all this mayhem. Folks, there are 330-plus million people in America. If you just do the numbers, there's probably going to be a murder every five minutes. I mean, it's, it is the sin we have of the world. And as the population in Cookville grows, it's up to us to keep loving people well because as the population grows, trouble grows, right? Just by mere percentage. But we have the hope. We have the good news that can, can work for the glory of God and make a difference. And he says, he's not giving us a spirit of fear. So we don't need to have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline. And then he goes on to say, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of him. Don't be ashamed to tell others about the Lord. This is what the, the church is called to do and to preach is to share the good news of Jesus. And yet there's been this thing going on, I'd say it's been going on about 10, 15 years of what I'm going to call bashing the church. It's like I see people, Christians, Christians online bashing the church, like, oh, the church is this, the church is that, the church should be doing this, the church should be doing that. And my, my thought is, where do you feel God says it's a good idea to go on social media and bash his bride? Okay. Because you see, the church is the bride of Christ, his wife. That's what the Lord calls it, his wife. And I'm not saying this because anybody's bashed the river lately ever. I, I don't know. I hadn't seen it in a long time. But I just see this, the church, and people bashing the church. And I'm like, man, that's like me. If you want to invite me to your house but tell me to, to leave my mean wife at home, I'm going to tell you to go feed yourself. Because my wife ain't mean. She's awesome. You start talking ugly about my wife, it's going to get ugly, right? She is my helpmate. She is my, my love. And so you start telling me that she's the problem, I'm going to get upset. So you think you want to say you love Jesus, but you don't like the church. I hear people say that. I, and not in here. I'm just saying I hear people. I talk to people. And they say, oh, I love Jesus, but I just don't love the church. Oh, you okay with people saying that about your wife? I don't think so. I'm not. I love you, Steve. You're great. I just don't like your wife. Well, then just stay away from me because we're one, right? So if you say you love Jesus, but you don't love his church, I want to challenge you on that. If it's not what you want it to be, then make it something better. Jump in and serve and be the man or woman of God he's called you to do, making a difference. Because there's opportunities. Man, we've got teenagers. We've got over 100 teenagers every Wednesday night. We've got over 100 college students every Tuesday night. All of them, all of them have opportunities to grow in Christ, be discipled in Christ. We have over 250 to 300 children on Sunday morning, all of them needing to be discipled and mentored and poured into. These are all privileges and opportunities we have to disciple the next generation. And I just challenge you, let's be a part of the solution. 
Let's let God fan that flame in us so that we can fan the flame in, in the next generation. The millennials, Gen Z, Gen X, they're not the problem. They're the future. And they are hopefully going to be the solution. But how we disciple and how we mentor and how we lead will make a difference. So, fourth thing is that God's grace calls us to action. We've got to be ready to, to take action. His grace calls us to that. I, I, I like the phrase, paying it forward. When I was a young Christian, I, I didn't understand a whole lot about the Bible. And what I got was Christianity was a bunch of do's and don'ts. You know, you got the Ten Commandments, and then you got all these other things. We had a joke, and uh, one of the jokes we had was uh, I went to a Baptist school, good school, great examples, but we never could have any dances. You know, the, the Baptists don't dance was kind of the phrase. We're not going to have Baptists. We're not going to have dances. And, and I remember people said, well, you know, why are people? Of, I won't say that. Anyway, I just say that, that they just didn't like dances, okay? And as I was growing up, it just felt like there were these rules that were there when it came to Christianity. And then once I came to know Christ and I began walking in his grace, I realized I don't want to follow these teachings on thou shalt not lie and thou shalt not steal because I have to. I want to do it because I want to. Because God had forgiven me of so much junk, I wanted to live as he called me to live. I wanted to pay forward what he'd done for me. And that's the way I am with people wherever I go. I want to pay forward this grace that he's given me and shine his grace on all that are around me. My neighbors, people in my family, those who don't know it, yesterday was pride, gay pride day at the park here in town. And I always wrestle with how I'm going to walk that out. Uh, last couple times, I'm just, I just go and pray. And this time, I actually wore a shirt that said I'm here to pray or something so people wouldn't wonder. Um, <laughs> that's not what... <laughs> Why do I hang out with you people? <laughs> they wouldn't wonder that I'm there as to hate on anybody. And um, as I walked through, I had somebody talking about being upset about it. I was like, man, it, it just, it breaks my heart because I see so many people looking for identity, looking for a place to belong, looking for a people that will accept them and, and hurting and and that was not the place to find the answer. The place is in Jesus Christ. The place is in the grace that God has given me. And I've got to make that grace known to others. And I was just praying, Lord, you just send a revival. Let it start within us that we would want to be disciple makers, that we would want to pour into the next generation so that they see the hope. Let me tell you, there were a lot of teenagers there. 
and they were being shown a way of life of drag queens and different things. And I would just wonder, are we as followers of Christ as passionate about what we believe our purpose and hope is as the people that put the show on yesterday? We need to love Jesus so much that anybody around us sees how evident it is. And the grace we have from God that we have been forgiven needs to ooze out of us so much that it like spills over onto whoever we are around. And that the kindness that we share is revealed and reflected from the kindness and grace that Christ has shown us. And part of that is in being loving enough to people to tell them the truth, that there is a different way, a way that leads to life and purpose and true joy. And it's the way that Christ has given us. And so I just, I just say to you, this good news that we have, this good news has a purpose. Verse 9 and 10 says, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life Holy means set apart for the work of God. And yet in this room, are our lives looking any differently than everybody else who's living in the world? Are the shows we're watching any different? Are the jokes we're telling any different? The way we're speaking to our spouses, is it any different? The things we teach our kids that are important, are they any different? The way we treat people that disagree with our political party or our theological stand, is it any different? I pray it is because God tells us it's supposed to be. This grace that we have received we're supposed to pay it forward through the grace that we have received. It says, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this, not because we deserved it. That's, what, that's where the grace comes from. I realize Steve Taboo did nothing for his salvation. Jesus called me, he forgave me, he rescued me, he saved me. And because of that grace showed upon me, I turned away from my sin and turned to him. Says, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. And this is the good news. This is what we need to tell everybody this next sentence. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. That's the good news we can tell everybody. Went to a funeral visitation this week. Someone that has lived a, a life, a testimony to others. The funeral home was packed. The line to go visit the family was long because this person had walked with Christ. There was no doubt that this person had entered the kingdom of heaven and everybody would say the same thing. It's not goodbye, it's see you later. 
And I kept talking to family members. They're like, we're not sad for him. We're just sad for us that we're going to miss him, right? And that is the hope that we have. And sometimes we're Christians for so long that we forget the world doesn't have that hope. Their hope and their good deeds might be good enough to outweigh their bad deeds. And when they, when they die, they'll get to go to heaven. They're hoping that there's some kind of reincarnation and they'll get a second chance. They're hoping that, that maybe they're just hoping that this world really is the end because they've lived so bad that death would be better than hell. But you and I, we have the good news. Jesus has defeated death. He has defeated hell. He has robbed the devil of his biggest treasure. And he is setting the hope and the grace for all of us that we might know. And we can't be silent about that anymore. We've got to testify to the good news that Jesus Christ is real, he's alive, and he has broken the power of death and illuminated the way of life and immortality through the good news. Well, the last thing, uh, verse 11 and 12. says, and God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, a teacher of this good news. And that is why I'm suffering here in prison. But I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust, and I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of return. So the fifth thing is God carries us through suffering until heaven. You may be the, called to suffer, after first service, I was talking to somebody, uh, I, actually before first service, they didn't even know what I was preaching on, and they came to me and to tell what they'd been through this week, and they, they literally didn't know what I was preaching on. They said, I got a testimony for you, I said, of, of suffering. He said, sometimes we do the right thing, we're going to have to pay the price. I said, what happened? And he was being asked to lie on some documents at work, and he wouldn't do it, and it cost him his job. He couldn't continue to work for the company that wanted him to to deceive, and so he had to step down. Sometimes that'll happen. As we do what's right, the world doesn't always clap their hands and say, oh, we love having somebody with honesty and integrity on our team. Oftentimes, they just want us to turn a blind eye and do what we're told, right? But those of us that are followers of Christ, we got to realize that if we're called to do the right thing, and we suffer because of it, we know that God will walk with us in that suffering. That he will be there for us to walk with us. And sometimes that's even by our own doing, right? I've had to apologize for some things that are really, you know, a little white lie that the Lord convicted me of. I had to apologize for getting upset at time to time or whatever that might be. And man, that's embarrassing. But you know what? God gave me the strength to walk through that as well. And so I just want to let you know that God will walk with you through the hard time. And more of the good news that I can share with you today is that God will walk with you through all time. And that's something we can share with anybody and everybody, that God carries us through this suffering. God may not have chosen you to be the preacher. What did Paul say here? A preacher, an apostle, a teacher of the good news? but he's called all of us to be a messenger of the good news. He's called all of us to be a discipler of others, 
to spread this good news, this hope wherever we're at to whomever we're at. And one of the ways we can do that is by taking what God has put in us and passing it on to someone else. You may have heard the illustration, in Israel there's a sea called the Dead Sea. And it's dead because the water runs into it, but it doesn't leave anywhere. Nothing can live. The salt content is so bad that nothing lives in the Dead Sea. I got to swim in the Dead Sea. It's a crazy thing. The salt is so thick you literally can't go underwater. Like I tried multiple, multiple times to try to go underwater, and the buoyancy is such that you, you just can't go underwater. But everything's dead in it. Compare that to the lakes that we have where waters come in, waters go out, and we have all these great fish that we can go fishing for, right? It's the same way in our faith. If, if you're only receiving the things of the Lord, you're going to become spiritually dead because that's not what God intended. God intended for you to be poured into and then for you to turn around and pour into others. That's what he intended. Now, you can do that at your workplace. You can do that in your home. You can do that in church. We got so many opportunities. Man, we want to give you opportunities to pour into others. Teenagers, college students, children. Had one person who was a new Christian said, how can I help? And we said, well, what if you help start with children? They said, well, I don't know a lot of the stories. So well, as you read the stories, you'll learn. You just read the story the week before. And they came back, they're like, wow, this really does work. You got to start somewhere. Quit telling me what you don't know and what you can't do and start asking, Lord, what do you want me to do with what I do know? Fan the flame. And then the last thing I would just say, he can carry us through that, but there's no need to be ashamed because we know, we are sure that he is able to guard what we've entrusted to him. What have we entrusted to him? Our souls. Now, if you're here today and you know Jesus, you trusted him with your soul, I want you to know you can trust him with your soul. He can take care of it, and he will take care of it. But if you're here today and you've never trusted God with your soul, I would ask you, what are you waiting for? Christ has defeated death and sin. And maybe you've sinned a lot and you're like, I don't know if he can handle it. Yes, he can. The guy that wrote this book, Paul, the guy that wrote this book, he had murdered Christians. Anybody here murdered a Christian? Let's see, show hands. Nobody. Okay. That's good to know. So my point is this. Nobody's too far from the grace of God. But you've got to be willing to make that decision to trust in him. Would you stand with me? We'd like to give an invitation here at the river, an invitation to step out and say yes to God. If you've never trusted God with your soul, I want to challenge you to trust him today. I'll be down front. Our uh, pastors and ministers will be over here to my right. If you want to talk to somebody, we'll be right here. We want to receive you. Just come and say, man, I, I want to trust God with my soul. And we'll listen and we'll pray with you and help you make that decision. If you're here and you got somebody you want to put on the stage, you got more names you want to pray over, 
You want to commit to praying day and night, just come put names on stage. You got to squeeze them in now. They're getting so tight. I, I even thought we might have to paint over it here pretty soon and just start all over and redo it. I don't know, but, uh, but if you come put their names on the stage and, and pray for them or, or pray as well. And then in the back, there's a prayer, a prayer room. If you just need to unpack something, there's something going on in your life and you're like, man, it's going to take a couple minutes to share this with somebody. That's what we have that for. This is your time. This is why you came, not just for a great time to worship God or a message, but so that you can connect with God and make a decision to move forward. So as Ethan plays, I'll be down front. Our pastors and ministers are ready. As he plays, you pray or come. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening today. If you would like more information about the church and what God is doing here through the river, you can visit therivercc.com or you can download our app in the app or Google Play Store. Again, we just want to say thank you for listening, and we hope as you go throughout your week that you are able to love God, love people, and impact the world.